0: Welcome to the Entertainment Biz Podcast. I'm your host, Andy G. Today, we're here with Alexander Laveco. He has years of international experience in intellectual property, entertainment, social media, internet law. Alex is also a New York licensed attorney in the Miami office of the IP and entertainment law firm Chase Lawyers. He has advised major international brands during his career, including the Dutch-based mega communications provider, Vimplecom, and one of the most famous IP brands in the world, the Russian animation sensation, Masha and the Bear. As part of his current diverse practice, he represents startup owners, entrepreneurs, website and mobile app owners, fashion designers, inventors, Amazon store owners, as well as musical artists, producers, record labels, visual artists, movie makers, and international athletes. Mr. Levaco also actively participates in the startup and tech community of the city of Miami. He currently acts as a co director of the Miami chapter of Founder Institute, which is the world's largest startup accelerator, helping dozens of founders with various aspects of launching their tech businesses, in addition to his legal practice at Chase Lawyers. Hi, Alex. How are you?
1: Hey, Randy. All good, all good.
0: So, how did you get started?
1: Yeah. So, uh, I first, uh, became an attorney back in 2013, you know, you, you stand around the mill, uh, graduate law school, uh, get a job in a big firm, uh, work there for a couple of years in the corporate environment. Uh, the bankruptcy and telecommunication law is not really the thing that, uh, you know, makes me inspired. Um, so I decided to switch profiles a little bit and I mm-hmm. went to get a master's degree in international sports law in Madrid Uh, where I met one of the partners of my current law firm, Mr. Gregory Bloom. And after that, I got an internship uh, here in Miami, uh, then got another degree in New York in intellectual property media and information law. And after that, moved back here to Miami to to practice law. And this is what I've been doing here for the past couple of years.
0: Excellent. And Alex, I would definitely love for you to tell us a little bit more about what you worked on for Masha and the Bear. But before we dive into that, I just want to say that my daughter is a huge fan of the show. And thanks to her, I've probably watched each season a million times by now. And for anyone who may not be familiar with the show, Masha and the Bear won the YouTube Diamond Awards. All of the cartoon's separate channels in English, Portuguese, and Spanish reached an audience of 10 million subscribers per channel. In July 2019, the episode titled Recipe for Disaster was included in the Guinness World Records book as the most watched cartoon on YouTube, reaching more than 4 billion views and was included in the top five most viewed YouTube videos of all time. Mind-blowing. Please, Alex, tell us a little bit more about your work on the show.
1: Sure thing. Um, so, yeah, the show is really an amazing success. And uh, I think it's a combination of a creative genius with a, an amazing marketing team and a management team uh, that were able to you know, show off the product to everybody who was interested. And Thankfully, there was a lot of people interested. Um I worked there in the licensing department as a licensing attorney, uh, just working with you know a lot of uh, international deals, so just contracts. So uh, how the business works in that regard, in any content-making business, I guess, um, it's less about selling the content necessarily. It's more about selling the intellectual property rights to the content or rather licensing them. So uh, what we did is we uh, provided Different types of establishments like toy making companies, uh, different types of merchandise making companies that uh, were interested in obtaining rights to the characters of mm-hmm. Masha and the Bear. Um, and we were providing them with those licenses, those permissions uh, in exchange for a fee, of course. And uh, this was you know, pretty much what I was doing making sure that we have properly structured licensing agreements with international and local partners.
0: Very interesting. And what is your current main focus at the Chase Lawyers firm? Um, I would
1: say it's threefold, to be honest with you. So the first aspect of it all, is intellectual property, and mm-hmm. I think it's an all-encompassing one. Uh, my law firm is uh, generally entertainment law. Um, so whenever we talk about entertainment, we talk about music, we talk about movies, we talk about literature. Um, and a couple other industries. And on all of those different aspects of the entertainment industry, you need to make sure that you have properly secured intellectual property rights. So intellectual property is going to be, you know, first um, part of uh, this discussion here. Um, Number two, I would guess, is generally internet law, everything related to digital rights. And this is a, you know, a passion of mine. Um intellectual property rights and digital rights online, making sure that people have properly established websites, properly established mobile apps, uh, that they have all of the rights secured and, you know, just making sure that they can monetize it the, in the best way possible.
0: And Alex, for anyone who may not be familiar with the term intellectual property, can you please explain what that means?
1: Sure thing. So the term intellectual property refers to a set of, of federally established rights Um Uh, It is a, you know, a threefold concept. Once again, it uh, usually includes copyrights, trademarks, uh, patents. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people include, you know, trade secrets under the umbrella as well as personality rights. So uh, there are five things that we can discuss here. Copyrights generally protect expressions uh, that are fixed in a tangible medium. So whenever you put something on a piece of paper, whenever you record something into the microphone, whenever you uh, draw something on a, you know, on a canvas, uh, you create something original that you have authored. And by that measure, you obtain copyright to that work. And you can protect other people from copying that work. Right. Uh, and you can monetize, of course, You know how you distribute it, how you, you know, perform and display it, et cetera.
0: And how do you protect them? Is that with contracts or how else? To
1: Generally, with every type of intellectual property, number one is... Um, Registration. It's uh, governed by the federal legislation. The Copyright Act says that if you perform, perform certain uh, fung- certain operations, you go to the Copyright Office. You get you know your permissions. You file your paperwork. You do all the boring stuff. Uh, you obtain certain rights to the Copyright that allow you to you know sue other people. That allow you to get a lot of damages if you are successful in your losses, as well as get compensated for uh, all the time that your attorney spent working on your case. So it just provides you with a lot of benefits, uh, both as regards trademark registration and the corporate registration. So registration would be step number one. Step number two is contracts. Yes, just ensuring that whenever you are contracting with anybody, whenever you are collaborating with somebody, say, for instance, you're a musician who is writing a song with somebody, or if you are working with a producer in the booth, uh, you want to make sure that you have written agreements between in all of those instances to make sure that you have properly established rights uh, as against them.
0: Thank you so much for that information. And you mentioned monetizing. So how does an IP attorney like yourself help clients monetize their intellectual property?
1: It depends on the particular industry, to be honest with you. So when we talk about music clients, for instance, make sure that you tell the client about the different types of copyrights in the music. There are two, one in regards to music compositions, one in regards to sound recordings. And in regards to both of those types of copyrights, there are several different ways how those price and those rights can be monetized. There's performance rights, there's mechanical royalties, um, there's certain licensing fees that you can obtain. There are several different sources of income, sources of lo- royalties that you can obtain that you can secure uh, depending on the quality of your agreements, as well as the royalty collection organization that you're registered in. So I think step number one would be just making sure that my client knows about all the different sources of income that they can actually uh, get their hands on because oftentimes a lot of that money just you know stays uh, in the black box without being distributed to the rightful author or rightful owner because people just don't know that they can claim it. So one of the first steps is to check whether there is some money to be claimed that the artist had already earned, for instance, right? And now when we move move on from the music industry and, you know, for instance, we go into the literary industry or the movie industry, uh, once again, we can uh, deal with different types of licensing uh, and give rights. Whenever you have rights to some type of content, whenever you have rights to some type of brand, uh, you always can obtain additional value uh, from that brand being licensed to somebody and from somebody getting the value from your prominence. And also, if we're talking about popular... um, Know, Instagram celebrities or influencers or musicians, artists, you know, people who we work with in the entertainment industry, mm-hmm. uh, there's always something to be said about, you know, reaching an endorsement deal or sponsorship deal, right?
0: Right, right yeah. Uh,
1: utilizing their, you know, personality rights.
0: And for these creatives, entertainers, and entrepreneurs who are listening right now, what are some of the topics that you feel are most important to raise awareness about?
1: It's a good question. Uh, I think uh, there are several main um categories of things that people are interested in generally. Uh, number one is how do to get money out of my art. You know, this is question number one that we are you know, more than happy to answer. And number two is how do I structure my business in a way that it will protect me in terms of, you know, opening a legal entity, setting up my record label, uh, making sure that I have all the aforementioned rights protected and working for me make sure that all the contracts that i have with my collaborators are on point precise and you know follow the letter of the law
0: that's really important
1: yeah of course and uh, from that moment on it depends on the particular artist or you know brand owner entrepreneur particular their particular industry and their particular path i guess right. because you know one of the best things about this industry uh, that i have experienced for myself is the fact that there's always some type of uh, interesting nuance um, so that allows you to a get more information about the industry and mm-hmm. explore it and analyze it in a, a different angle and b just be able to help somebody that uh, you know, didn't even know that they can be helped
0: I completely agree with that. There's a lot of things that entertainers don't know. So when working with collaborators, which is always a great opportunity for networking and cross promotional purposes, what are some of the legal aspects to be aware of? For example, how can you make sure that things go smoothly for a win-win situation? And how can you protect yourself early on in the process in case things end up going south for whatever reason?
1: Well, I think you get the nail right on the head or whatnot. Um, You got to make sure that you do everything before you actually go into business. We have a lot of clients who come to us after the fact saying that, oh, I've, you know, I've started this startup with a person. I've uh, opened this record label with somebody. I've started this band and we didn't have any paperwork to start. But, you know, because he's a friend of mine, he's a brother of my sister, he's a, you know, brother or whatever. Um, the problem is, is that relationships tend to go south. And not necessarily because people are bad, but because people have different paths, different heads. You know, Nobody knows what is going on in another you know, person, personality and head. Um, so sometimes it just so happens that you need to make sure that you reach a certain settlement or, you know, you go your own separate ways with the collaborator that you had a good relationship beforehand. Exactly. And for those purposes, you want to make sure that you have it, you know, written out on a piece of paper signed by both bodies saying what exactly happens, who gets a share of what.
0: So before you get started. Exactly. Thank you so much for that, Alex. Great information. And what are the preliminary steps to content distribution? And are there any legal exposures to be aware of before distributing your content?
1: It depends on the mediums of distribution. So there are several uh, important points to mention. You want to make sure that you secure the rights to your content. So for instance, we're talking about video content. If you have you know, yoga lessons that you want to um, you know distribute out there in the network, and you want to just do it on, your, you know, on, on a YouTube channel, right? You want to make sure that you obtain copyrights to those videos to make sure that they cannot be copied by somebody. Uh, because what sometimes happens is, and, you know, we've had some instances of that happening is that some clients, unfortunately, um, had they, had their content stolen by somebody else who just started posting it on YouTube just by copying the videos. And then that secondary person filed takedown notices against first, you know, the, the original owner, and that created a whole mess. So, you know, because yeah. the, you know, the first people, they didn't actually register any copyrights, any, you know, rights. Exactly. There. Uh, to that content. So once you do that, you want to make sure that you have all the agreements with the people who who serve you in providing that content, your videographers, your cinematographers, your, um, you know, producers, your sound engineers. If you have a team working on your content, make sure that you have agreements with them that will establish that you own all of the intellectual property in that work. Then you register those rights, right? Once you secure them in a contract, you register them as a cop, right? To ensure that you have the protection of both mediums that we previously discussed, right? The con- Right. The one, the lateral one, and the vertical one with the registration with the federal protection. So once you are secured on both fronts, you can actually post that content at the very least Know, be confident that if something happens, you have a sufficient amount of protection behind you that will allow you to prevent people from infringing on your content.
0: And what about any legal aspects of launching a new website? For example, what are the potential liabilities to be aware of? And what else are most people that you've worked with not thinking about?
1: When I would talk about launching websites uh, or mobile apps, because the dynamics are you know generally outside of a couple of documents are generally the same. Um, one of the main things that people often have uh, problems with is understanding that anytime somebody goes to your website or anybody, anytime somebody downloads your app, um, you are entering into a contract with them. And whenever you go to any type of website, each one of them is going to have the terms and conditions and privacy policies somewhere in the bottom, or maybe they're going to make you click if they're you know, well prepared and well organized and they know how to make sure that those contracts are enforceable. Um, so all of those contracts actually establish the relationship between the user of the website or the purchaser of services, purchaser of goods, and the website operator. And you want to make sure that you have all of those documents properly structured um, because any terms and conditions, any terms of service, establish a contract. Uh, Additionally, you want to make sure that those documents are compliant with federal legislation and not only U.S. legislation, but financially European and you know, international legislation as well. Um, mostly as it regards privacy. So for instance, whenever we are talking about any type of information collecting practices of the website, or so apps, whenever you're opening an account on the website, whenever you're providing your payment information, your name, your email address, your date of birth, uh, you're providing personally identifiable information to the right. website.
0: You're collecting their data.
1: You're collecting their data, exactly. Uh, and when that happens, you want to make sure that you are properly disclosing all of your, you know, data collecting and data usage practices to the website mm-hmm. user to make sure that you do not run a fool of, you know, several uh, legislations on the topic. And you want to make sure that you are, if you are engaging in any type of uh, data selling practices, then once again, you're disclosing all of it, you're transparent about it, you give your users a chance to, um, to terminate this type of arrangement between you know, yourself and their data. But to make an overview, whenever we talk about a website, a mobile app, uh, protect yourself from liability first and foremost, open a company, make sure that you have an agreement with your web developer, your software developer guy, you know, who, your CTO, uh, to make sure that you own all the intellectual property in that work then make sure that all of the documents that we just discussed, terms of conditions, terms of sale, privacy policy, that all of those documents are properly structured and not not just taken off the internet. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of people who, you know, comment saying that, can you take a look at our documents? Because we've, you know, we've made them ourselves from the internet or mm-hmm. from the, you know, do-it-yourself websites. Right. And in 99% of the cases, it just comes comes down to us redoing everything from scratch because those documents are just not, not workable. And... Once you have all of those documents that protect you against all of those uh, different mediums of relationships with your customers, with your users, then you want to make sure that you either, you know, protect yourself via a trademark as well. Obtain a trademark to your brand name, and to piggyback on our initial conversation on intellectual property, trademarks protect brand names. They they protect logos,
0: symbols, and designs, things like that exactly so what about for someone protecting their intellectual property online for example how can a music producer protect their beats or any original samples or drum packs they might be selling and on a separate note how can a clothing brand protect themselves from their products being counterfeited
1: the discussion is a little bit different between the two right so when we talk about music producers the main the main thing that uh, gets copied is the actual beat, right? Is the actual you know musical composition of the sound recording. So in this instance, in order to prevent that from happening, you want to make sure that you have uh, registered the copyrights to your beats beforehand before actually releasing something. Because if you do that before you release it, it will come out significantly cheaper than when you do it after the release. Because if you re- copy- register your copyrights before you actually publish something, uh, you have a chance to to group them. In an album, in a collection, and make sure that you only pay, you know, one time, one sixty-five dollar fee or forty-five dollar fee uh, for, you know, fifteen different bits, thirty different bits, whatever it is that you can structure as a collection there, as opposed to paying, you know, thirty times that fee. Um, so you, you want to make sure that you register all the copyrights and that whenever you are distributing your content, you are doing that consciously. You know what type of licensing agreements you are entering into with your purchasers, whether you are uh, distributing your content on a non-exclusive basis, on an exclusive basis, where whether you are straight out, you know, assigning your content and, you know, pretty much transferring the ownership of the beat to the person who purchases it. Because that will determine the specific um, rights and the scope of rights that uh, those people would have in regards to your music. And after the fact, you will be able to either, you know, claim infringement against somebody or not, because you have already, you know, transferred the ownership to somebody. Exactly. So in cases of music producers, that will mostly be uh, the dynamic related to copyrights. When it comes to brand owners, to design, you know, design line owners, what usually happens is that people open social media accounts, Instagram accounts, you know, Etsy accounts that uh, resemble the original brand you know, the name of a popular brand, they change one letter that to, to make sure that, it's, you know, is, is not that obvious. And then they, you know, sell similar or, you know, knock off closing uh, or knock off, you know, any type of the products uh, under that brand name or under a similar brand name while, you know, taking those profits away from original brand owner and, you know, putting it their own pockets. And in this instance, the hammer that will prevent that from happening will be trademark law. And in this instance, brand owners want to make sure that they register their trademarks beforehand to ensure that they have a strong trademark infringement case uh, against any type of infringement like that. Also, one other important aspect is that absent a registration, social media platforms are not likely to be collaborating with you on you know, any type of takedown notices uh, because most of the times in any type of trademark infringement situation, of you know, report trademark infringement you see on Instagram, right? You want to make sure that you provide all the necessary information, but you're going to be providing it to a bot most of the times because they, right. have, yeah, they have computers working those types of you know, processes. So unless you have a registered trademark, it's going to be, you know, very hard to go through an automated system that is established by the platform. Reporting. Exactly, yeah. to
0: report it show that you actually have a good case. So Alex, we all know that you can sell a product or service, but in today's world, you have, for example, influencers, podcasters, and bloggers who rely heavily on their following as well as consistently distributing high-quality content that's either trendy, educational, in order to have any type of business success. Do you have any insight on the fundamentals and any proven strategies for how these specific types of creatives can monetize their content-based brands? This
1: never an question. I think that what people usually go to us in regards to um, content-based brands, it's more about protection and preventing other people from um, infringing on their rights. So it's more about saving money. Um, so whenever it depends on the content, once again, right? If we're talking about a popular YouTube channel, then we're you know, definitely talking about advertising revenue, right? If we're mm-hmm. talking about somebody who produces music, a music producer, a bit maker, then you want to make sure that you are not, you know, selling your content throughout different mediums. And you're not only you know, licensing your rights to the music compositions, for instance, you are also selling your sound recordings. Uh, you want to make sure that uh, you're distributing it across different platforms. You want to make sure that you have... Beatport, you have, you know, you're distributed across all different platforms that are familiar to everybody, you know, the iTunes and the Amazon Music of the world. And um, once you do that, it's just about tapping into all of the different sources of income. So here, I think our particular job is less about telling brand owners or music producers what to do exactly, because look, if we're, you know, if we're if I'm being humble there, right? It's, I'm never going to know your business better than you do, but uh, w- what I can do and how I can help you is I can show you different ways in which you can, uh, potentially, um, expand your brand and expand, uh, your, your rights. And when you, and it's going to be up to you to actually pursue those instances or not. Right. Uh, for instance, when it comes to, you know, social media personalities that you mentioned, right? Uh, there are different types of sponsorship and endorsement agreements that everybody can enter into, and we have, you know, negotiated ones for a percentage of the brand, uh, where you know, social media influencer gets a particular piece of the company that he actually. Uh, represents we have negotiated once for you know, lump sums of money for uh, certain for products. There's a lot of different you know, perks that you can get out of collaborating with different brands right. because once you have a following, uh, you have uh, you know something to sell because you want to. Be, everybody wants to get in front of as many eyeballs as
0: possible. So very true. And beyond the guidance and legal services that you provide to your clients, does Chase Lawyers or you personally do anything else to give back to your clients that makes their experience unique?
1: good question. Um, I think what we pride ourselves on is uh, the boutique experience. Is the fact that uh, we provide personal attention to our clients. Uh, we try to be available to you twenty four seven and make sure that you have our you know, personal phone numbers and you are uh, you know you are able to call us whenever you um, have any type of issue that arises. And we want to make sure that we are providing value to you upfront in any type of business. In twenty twenty, you want to make sure that you provide value to your customers and build trust and uh, establish a relationship. So you know, we have a, a lot of different products that we you know offer to our customers. You know, for free in that instance, we have a lot of ebooks that we offer. Uh, we are you know, open to. You know, providing some type of you know free consultation here and there, uh, or providing some type of guidance on a contingency basis with young artists who are you know yet to get any type of success, um, where we you know where we make a bet that someday down the road they're going to be successful and they're going to you know make it worth our while. But you know, if that doesn't happen, it's just a question of us willing to help the little guy, I guess. This is one of the main reasons why I decided, you know, I decided I want to be an attorney in the U.S., to be honest with you, is that when I came to Miami back in 2015 to get my internship, uh, Chief Lawyers, I realized that contrary to my previous experience working for a firm that has 70,000 people and, you know, has a fixed rigid corporate structure, in this instance, I can actually see the result of my own work come to fruition. I can see how people... Are helped and how uh, I can bring value and important you know, guidance into their lives. And I think this is this is one of the best parts of, of of the whole experience. I think just seeing the results of your work.
0: And what about any new projects that Chase Lawyers has? I know that when we were scheduling this interview, you mentioned a new subscription model and a new podcast coming along. Yeah, that's amazing.
1: Uh, I think this whole, you know, pandemic dynamic uh, has attributed not only to me growing this, you know, amazing beard, uh, <laughs> but also to the fact that we're trying to venture off into different uh, different mediums. Like, as you mentioned, we're starting on Cheese the Dream podcast uh, in the coming days. Uh, we also will be shortly uh, initiating our legal subscription service that will allow, you know, artists, entrepreneurs, brand owners, entertainers, um, to get access to legal services without without breaking the bank and without um, you know, having to work um, with an attorney who is going to charge you ten thousand dollars upfront to even wow. you know, to, to even hear what you got to say, so yeah, we're trying to we're trying to diversify, we're trying to make sure that we are visible across all mediums, and we're trying to make sure that we are accessible to people.
0: A subscription model—that's very unique. So as you mentioned now about the podcast the Chase the Dream podcast, it really got me curious. So what can we expect to hear about on that podcast?
1: So what we wanted to achieve there is a combination of two things. So we wanted to invite um, industry professionals who have achieved something or have who have some type of unique path in front of them. And we wanted to make sure that we give our listeners both the industry aspect and the legal aspect of it all so if we are inviting uh, you know a social media influencer we're going to ask them how is it that they've gotten you know so many followers or what what was the stepping stone in their development into where they are right now and then we're going to assess that from the legal perspective and provide both them and our listeners who are thinking about you know undertaking a similar path with some legal guidance in regards to Oh how do I make sure that I do the same thing but maybe without making some type of you know mistakes in the legal field that you know many people do as they go along, especially right. you know in the creative industry exactly So this is a combination of the two things industry advice plus legal advice and making sure that it's you know presentably in a short, nice form uh, that allows you to listen you on your way to work whenever you're working out the
0: Nice, can't wait. Thank you so much, Alex. And how can our listeners connect with you post-interview? Where can they email you? And where can they follow you on social media?
1: ChaseLawyers.com, that's the website. Uh, find us on Instagram, on Facebook. Um, well, it's on YouTube, of course. We have our own Chase Lawyers YouTube channel where we you know, share some of those you know, tips and tricks um, in regards to the legal aspects of the entertainment industry with our listeners and our viewers. Uh, so yeah, at Chase Lawyers across all mediums.
0: And what about you specifically, if anyone wants to send you a message or connect with you?
1: I'm sure um, you can find me on LinkedIn, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, but besides those, uh, those instances, I'm not really, you know, I'm, I'm not really that keen on social media myself, to be honest.
0: Thank you so much, Alex. You gave us great information, very valuable insight, things that are just mind-blowing. Your experience, your background is incredible. Thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Appreciate it.